Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Greta Thomas. And I'm Claire Hatton. We're all about producing content where you can be inspired by and learn from amazing female entrepreneurs and leaders to help you achieve and even exceed your career goals. Before we begin this week's episode, though, it would mean a huge amount if you could rate and review our show if you haven't already. Consider it as your kind deed for the day. And we'd love to hear from you. So why not follow us or message us on LinkedIn, mention the podcast and we'll be all ears. And now enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of Don't Stop Us Now. We hope you really enjoyed our special fourth birthday edition last month. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and this week, we have a treat in store for you. An Australian entrepreneur who's literally bringing nature indoors with her creation of a whole new segment of natural products using Australian native botanicals for products such as hand wash, cleaning products, dog shampoo even, and laundry detergent and Lots of things like that. So we're talking about the entrepreneur and founder of Bondi Wash, Belinda Everingham. Founded in 2013, this premium natural range is sold and known around the world for its quality and chemical-free products and beautiful scents. It's, you know, it's kind of a bit like she sells Australian goodness in a bottle, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, but what, of course, what Belinda's doing right now is light years away from how her career started, which was as a management consultant. That's for sure. Now, in this episode, you'll hear how Belinda's first career came to a halt after she had children, how serendipity helped this new founder scale her overseas markets just one year after launching, why Belinda now runs three separate but complementary businesses, and why when starting Bondi Wash, Belinda threw her rigorous and structured management consultant training out of the window. I love that. Enjoy this episode with the super thoughtful and inspiring Belinda Everingham. Belinda Everingham, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's really great to have you on and we're both excited to hear your stories and all the amazing things that you're doing. But the way we start our conversations with every guest is to ask them, if you were introduced to someone at a dinner party, how would you describe to them what you do today? I generally keep it short and sweet. Not everybody is interested in the long version of what I do. I'd say I run a company that makes natural products that feature Australian native botanicals, things like hand wash, body wash, dog wash, laundry wash. Yeah, fantastic. And then I imagine you get sort of varying reactions, but presumably a lot of people are, oh, right, tell me more. And what sort of reactions a do you? A lot of people are interested. And usually the first question they follow up with is why? Why did you start it? And so that then launches into the story of why I started it, which isn't 
a short story. It's, it's quite a long story. Well, the good news is we've got a little bit of time. And in fact, that is a perfect segue to actually ask, you know, what is the story for how you came to be running, you know, the beautiful and well-known brand Bondi Wash? Yeah, great. Well, it is a long story and it started back in 2008. I was doing independent consulting and really tired of what I was doing. I've been doing it for 20 years. So looking to do something else, I had young children and I was spraying a commercial supermarket multi-purpose spray on the kitchen bench and I got a quite a bad headache immediately. And I thought, wow, if it's doing that to me, what's it doing to my children and the environment? And then I started exploring natural versions of it in the supermarket and didn't love them. And that was really the beginning of a sort of an idea. I was trying to find natural hand washes and they were all selling out at that time. And then maybe six months later, I was at a friend's place and her husband runs a tea tree plantation. And she was cleaning her kitchen with just diluted eucalyptus oil. And that sort of triggered a thought, I guess. But I was quite busy with the children and moving house. We were moving back from Sydney to Melbourne. So nothing happened at that time. And it wasn't till about three years later when we were on holiday up in far north Queensland and I was reading the book Perfume by Patrick Suskind, which is a beautiful book set in Paris and grass, both places I've been to and love. And the book is about one man's mission for the perfect scent. And while I was reading this book, we were also every day visiting different places in Queensland. We went to a fruit farm and a rainforest. And there were all these plants I'd never heard of, things like quandong and kakadu plum. And it got me thinking, you know, could we create something in Australia like they have in France in grass where there's just plantations of our Australian natives and we extract the scents and the ingredients and use them in botanical products. And then I arrived back in Sydney, started doing a little bit of research and just discovered all these quite unusual extracts and scents that were already, you know, extracted from Australian botanicals. And that's where it started. And the business launched about 13 months later. It didn't take that long really to pull the whole concept together and develop some products. Gosh. Well, I mean, you know, it's clear that you have hit on a really big opportunity. And, you know, Bondi Wash is now a pretty well-known brand in Australia, particularly. And I think also you started to move overseas a little bit as well. I think more than a little bit, actually. Yes. Well, where... you need to tell us, Belinda. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So where are you and what are you doing globally? Well, it all happened very quickly. So we launched in November 2013 and about March the following year, I was in Hong Kong on holiday and found a little store that was selling natural brands, some of them I'd heard of. And I, I gave them my card and then sent them some samples and six months later, we launched in Hong Kong. Unbeknownst to me, it wasn't a little store. It was actually a guy who was Taiwanese and he had quite a big presence in Taiwan, smaller presence in Hong Kong, and was just establishing a presence in China. So three big export markets started, you know, over the course of the next few years. And so today we export to about 30 different countries and exports make up about half our total sales. So it's been a really interesting journey, actually. And all happened quite serendipitously and 
organically. I haven't had to, to date, do a trade show or make, you know, outbound inquiries. A lot of it has been inbound. That's amazing. Yeah. That just shows the quality of the product, though, I think, as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we were also in the right place at the right time. So I think this shift to natural really was starting then here in Australia and is at varying stages around the world as well. So we're sort of, we've got quite a big presence in Europe and I think we as a brand are doing quite well there because we are one of the leaders in this natural space in Europe. They're a little bit behind, I would say, both Australia and America. Yeah. And what's been the most surprising thing for you going global? in terms of running the business? I've really enjoyed it because you get an insight into the way people live through dealing with them at a business level. So China is just a really fascinating country. So the the anecdotes I have from just interacting with influencers and retailers there, I think I find it quite fascinating. Another, you know, another example would be one of the questions we got early on because we launched our dog ranch quite early and we have a product called a dry dog wash and we got a lot of questions from postpartum women wondering if they could use the dry dog wash on their hair because and I didn't know this, but women are not allowed to bathe for the first 30 days after giving birth. So, you know, that's quite fascinating to me, the little cultural nuances that you get from each country. The other thing that I have done is sort of established the business in places where I want to travel to for the most part. So we have now a little office in Milan. Oh, genius. I love that. That's genius. <laughs> that really is. I know. I know. And it's beautiful. You know, every corner you turn in Milan is beautiful but our office is in one of those beautiful old buildings with a central courtyard with lots of trees and beautiful marble flooring and I feel pretty lucky to be able to travel there every it was every year but I haven't now been there for three years because of COVID. Yeah that must have been quite challenging running a global business when you couldn't travel at all. And I'm curious with the exports how much are you sort of then outsourcing to agents or the end retailers to kind of manage the brand and market the brand in those markets or do you have still quite a high amount of control over how the brand is used? That's a great question and my initial approach has changed. So initially, certainly in Asia, I knew that I couldn't do it myself because I don't know the language and I don't know how to interact on the different social media platforms that they have. So we've always had distributors in all the Asian markets. In Europe, I decided we would try doing it ourselves because English is quite widely spoken across the whole continent. So back in 2017, when we set the office up, that was our intention to go direct to retailers, but it didn't work. So we have now established distributors in almost every European market to deal with their local market. So both marketing and sales Europe is quite old-fashioned in the way they do business and there's not just distributors but there's agents. So unless you're tapped into those networks, it's very hard to get a presence on the shelves. And Wash Wild, they're in the same sort of category, aren't they? Yeah. Maybe you can explain what they are. Yeah. I think my original vision, which is to take beautiful Australian scents and plants essentially, and put them into natural products. I think it works in many different types of businesses. So back in early, the beginning of COVID 2020, 
the business took off. It started off with a whole lot of orders coming in from Hong Kong, direct orders because they'd run out of hand sanitizer and that's one of our products. So the business was in slightly different financial position, I guess, is one of the reasons why I thought, okay, I'm going to do this second brand. And the other thing that happened is our efforts in Europe really took off. So we signed on distributors in a lot of different countries in Europe. So it gave me more confidence, I suppose. And I really thought, what am I waiting for? I've got this brand. Life's a bit too short. Why don't I just give it a go and see what happens? So that's Wash Wild. That's the sort of more mainstream brand that launched in September last year. And that's now available in just one Woolworth store. It's sort of a test market, if you like, in Double Bay. And that's in Sydney for listeners overseas. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third brand, which is again the same concept but slightly different, is the perfume brand. And Perfume was always part of my original vision because it was the book I was reading and I love natural fragrance. When I discovered all the Australian oils back in 2012, a lot of them were quite potent in terms of scent and they were also quite antibacterial. So things like lemon tea tree and eucalyptus peppermint don't really lend themselves to a perfume, So, which is why I started down the direction of Bondi Wash, so leveraging the antibacterial properties of these oils and putting them into natural products, and that's how Bondi Wash was created. But I've discovered some along the way that are not so intense and quite beautifully fragranced, ones like Australian Wattle, Baronia, Tasmanian Pepper is a beautiful, you know, natural scent, Australian Sandalwood. So that then, in the back of my mind, I thought, I wonder if we could create perfumes that really capture the sort of the sense of Australia. And that's why Alba. And that launched in about 2018, just a very soft launch. And again, last year, I decided I'd really throw all my energy behind it. And we've just opened a retail presence in Paddington. Oh, fantastic. And I'm really curious, how do you juggle, you know, not just the three different businesses, but then, you know, three children, yeah. <laughs> normal life yeah. and staff. You must have quite a lot of staff. And distributors. And distributors. Yeah. How do you juggle all that? It's a great question. And I think through all of this, I'm quite good at just focusing on what's important. And unfortunately, managing three brands and with a you know family and dogs and everything, there's a lot that's important. So I'm pretty busy and certainly some things slip through the cracks, but I've been doing it long enough to sort of know that not everything has to go perfectly. You can still keep going and just do the best you can. You don't have to do it quickly. Do it in your own time, I guess, and do it well is something that I try to do and I don't stress too much about. So I think, you know, just focusing on what's important and not getting too upset if things don't go according to a timeline. But the other thing is, obviously, I focus on Bondi Wash because that's paying for everything else, if you like. So making sure that's in good health is probably the biggest priority in terms of the business. And do you have any sort of daily, weekly habits that you put in place to help you know what's the most important things? No. In fact, one of your questions that you posed to me about my previous career and the rigour and structure that that had, I've thrown that out the window and I still kind of live by that and I just get guided by wherever things take me. I'm sure it's not best practice in terms of time management, but I think sometimes when you feel a bit free, 
you get better results and more creativity, certainly, if you're not constrained by set meetings. I really struggle with fixed meetings the whole time. Yeah. I think many people do that sort of like eight till 6 PM back to back meetings. It's just not productive, is it? No, no, (laughs) it's not. It's not. And certainly I think just the fluidity of the day, you know, if I really wanted to do something that might not be on the top of the to-do list, but it might then lead to something else that's wonderful, whether it's a new product or a new scent or a new opportunity. I've learned to really trust that movement of my time and go with it. I probably frustrate people because I might not respond to emails or I often, you know, get times wrong with meetings, but it's worked. So I'm, you know, I stick with it. Yeah, that's fantastic. And do you use your intuition? Yes, enormously, enormously. I've learned so many times there's that little niggling feeling and you get it often. And if you don't listen to it, it's generally a big or a small mistake. It's a fascinating thing, intuition. And I don't know whether a lot of the intuition has come from just having quite a long career before I started this. So I was, you know, in my mid-40s, I guess, when I started the business, early to mid-40s. So I'd done a lot already. And whether that sort of professional experience, but I think it's more than that, actually. I think there's sort of this gut feel that you can't always explain that guides you. And I really try and listen to it. Yeah. And it must also be that you create the awareness of it because many people are just very busy and their intuition might be happening, but they can't sort of find it through the noise. Potentially. I'm very busy, but the intuition does come to me. It's usually in the stomach, I would say, just a little niggling feeling. And it can be very small things. Yeah. It's so classic, Belinda, because you and I actually met many years ago at McKinsey & Company, the role model one could argue for structure and frameworks. But I'm sure so many listeners are just breathing sighs of relief to hear you're doing it your way and you've chucked some of that sort of training out the window. I'm sure it's very refreshing. You must get that reaction too. People don't generally ask the question. I think they assume that because I've worked at McKinsey, I've got this great skill set to help, but I really almost deliberately threw that structured thinking out the window when I started the business. I spent months at the kitchen bench creating scents. That was the first project I guess I did to get the business up and running. It was such a creative thing to do. I really deliberately, not consciously, but deliberately threw that really structured thinking out the window. So, for example, I had and still have sort of half-baked business plans that I really never finished and wouldn't have looked good if I presented them in the McKinsey office. But I guess they helped form my thinking and I just got them to the point where they helped guide what I did, but the full rigour just wasn't required to get the business off the ground. Actually, one of the things we learnt at McKinsey, Greta, which my staff love and I certainly embrace, is the Pareto principle. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. The 80-20 rule. 80-20, yeah. Because as a consultant you have a lot to do, they say focus 80% of your effort on the top 20% of things that are going to make a difference. And that's pretty much what I do. So that's sort of one of the skills, I guess, that I have transferred from the McKinsey years. Yeah. 
So it's just better to get out and do it rather than sort of create it all and make it perfect over, you know, a longer period of time, just getting it out there. Because you you will have to tweak things and you won't get it right necessarily the first time, but there's nothing better than, you know, in-market feedback for that. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, not getting it right first time, what's been the most challenging moment in the journey so far? It's a great question. And I think there are times when you completely lose faith in yourself. And I certainly did many times. It would probably happen at least once a year. And I would think, what am I doing? I'm not cut out for this. I'm not going to be a success. And really feel, you know, quite negative, I guess, about my capabilities and my ability to make this work. So that would happen relatively frequently in the first you know, five or so years of the business. And I guess I've now learned that I just, you know, I still have those thoughts, you know, not doing very well or this is a problem, but I've seen enough problems and then solutions to know that it's just a matter of getting through it. And I've probably got just a little bit more confidence in my abilities now to know that, you know, we will get through it. So I think it's not any one moment in particular, but it's sometimes just a whole bunch of overwhelming challenges that make the whole business seem a little bit insurmountable to keep going. Yeah. You know, if someone came to you and they were in the first few years of their business and they sort of shared that they too were questioning their ability to be able to succeed, you know, what sort of advice would you give to them? I would say that the success of the business is defined by how you tackle problems because there will be problem after problem after problem and they don't get smaller as you get bigger, they get bigger. So how you approach problems is really going to define whether or not you can keep going and be a success. Often there's a beautiful silver lining from a problem. One example was I don't know if you guys saw it, but we had a trademarking battle with Abercrombie & Fitch, the big US fashion brand trademark. You know, it was rejected in the US on the basis that they already owned the trademark Bondi Beach. And when that happened, I had this sinking feeling and then had to negotiate via expensive lawyers on both sides with Abercrombie & Fitch. And it really was unpleasant and expensive. And then a journalist got wind of the story contacted me and said, I want to run the story. I want to interview you. And we'd at that point just signed an agreement with them and we were going to coexist. Not in a, It's not perfect, but we had got to that point. And I was very nervous that this would blow it all up. So I asked the journalist not to run the story. He did. It was all over the national news and I was getting phone calls from the Trade Minister and from the Waverley Mayor, which we just all fielded and didn't make any comment. And I was very worried that this might blow the whole US market you know, out for us because of the lack of trademark. But in the end, we just got this beautiful publicity globally. And I think Abercrombie and Fitch realised that taking on a, a local Bondi brand for the trademark Bondi Beach was not a great idea. So I don't think we're going to have issues with our trademark in America anymore. So, you know, there's sometimes there's a silver lining. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, as you solve problems, you learn to get better at solving them as well, don't you? You take them head on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you had to name sort of a superpower strength of yours, what do you think it would be? I think I am quite good at the creative side, bizarrely, given my background. 
I do think I'm quite good at coming up with sort of new and creative products and ways of doing things. That's probably the basis for the business and the basis for all the different products we have. They're all, you know, a little bit innovative, I guess. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, when you look back on your consulting career or your career prior to starting Bondi Wash, do you feel like you were missing that creative side? You know, that maybe you were unfulfilled because you didn't have the creative side? Oh, enormously so. Yes. And I don't think I fit the McKinsey mould because I was just a little bit, I suppose I did have at heart a bit more of an artistic or creative side that really wasn't being utilised within McKinsey. And did you know that at the time? Yes, I was aware of it. So when I would return to go and visit my mum, for example, I would paint and, yeah, no, I was aware that there was something lacking in the career that I was pursuing. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it, when you, I mean, obviously you've had a great grounding and it hasn't gone to waste and it was good, but when you actually look at what your strengths are and then you lean into those, how fulfilling that can be. Absolutely. But if I'd started this back then, I may not have been a success. You know, it takes a bit of age and wisdom, I think, to run a business like An experience that you yeah, had. Absolutely. An experience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're coming to the end of our wonderful conversation. It's been really, really interesting. And this is quite a big question to end on, which is what does success look like for you? Yes, another great question. From the very beginning, I've always sort of managed the business with the overarching goal that the company will still be around in 50 years. So I've made a lot of short-term decisions that might not look the best for financials, but they're the best for the long-term sustainability, if you like, of the company. So that's probably what success would look like. And I might not be around to see it, but if the company is still around and people still love the products that we create in 50 years, then that would be success. That's fantastic. I love the fact that you've set it up that way. If only more people had a long-term lens, like, oh, governments and... Yeah, it's so so refreshing. It really is. Well, on that note, um, thank you so, so much, Belinda. It's been a really, really great conversation. Now, if any of our listeners wanted to know more about you or know more about your three companies... Bondi Wash, Wyalba and Wash Wild. Exactly. Where would they go? Oh, good question. We have websites for all three of them. That's probably the best place to start. And by all means, you know, send an email through to hello at bondiwash.com.au. We do have retail stores as well for Bondi Wash and Wyalba now. So we'd love to, you know, meet people in the stores as well. But it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. Yes. And we wish you all the best and can't wait to see where Bondi Wash goes next and well, all the other brands you've got. Yeah, it's certainly, you know, they are of the moment. You were ahead of the wave and COVID has just created a tsunami, I'm sure, for the demand and everything. So it's exciting to see. So good luck with everything. Thanks so much. Thanks, Belinda. I'm really fascinated by Belinda's description of how she deliberately cast aside relying so much on structured thinking and instead, you know, that she relies on her intuition much more. You know, it's funny because we didn't know each other that well at McKinsey, but I've always had this view of Belinda as being, firstly, super smart and successful, and secondly, 
I've always thought she was super analytical and rigorous. So it was really refreshing for me, someone who's definitely more kind of probably more naturally creative and unstructured than analytical, to hear her talk about how she works today. Yeah, I know. It's really fascinating. And I also loved whilst she relies on intuition, she does very much practice one principle she learned at McKinsey. You know, and that was the Pareto principle or the 80-20 rule. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so smart because uh, not enough of us do, you know, use that rule where we focus on, we should really be focusing on the most important 20% of the things that we want to do and really spend most of our time focusing on those few critical items. Yeah, yeah, look, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, we probably should revisit our work, you know, with the Leadership Development Business, Full Potential Labs and our podcast work, of course, and just kind of do a check-in with ourselves and see if we're focusing, you know, enough time on those really critical things. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. So, well, that's this episode done and dusted. Stay tuned for our next episode in two weeks. In the meantime, have a fantastic week. Stay safe and have fun. Ciao for now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.